The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLaRente, and I'm joined by the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, bud? Hey, everybody. How y'all doing? I'm glad to be back here as always, so let's get it. All right. You can always find Know the Score on CSPN. You can find us at www.cspn.us. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. You can follow us on Twitter at KTSPod. You can follow me on Twitter at Don DeLorente. And you can follow Dwayne on Twitter at The Libra Icon. So, Dwayne, last week we had the combine going on. And this week we had franchise tags and trades in the NFL. These are the list of players that are going to be playing underneath the franchise tag for next year. We're going to have Le'Veon Bell with the Steelers, Cal Fuller, cornerback from the Bears, Demarcus Lawrence, defensive end from the Cowboys, Zeke Anza, defensive end for the Lions, and LaMarcus Joyner, safety for the Rams. Now, each of these guys um, will not be free agents when the free agency period starts. They will be getting all this guaranteed money with Le'Veon Bell getting the most because He's going to be receiving the franchise tag for the second year in a row. So he gets 120% of the running back franchise tag. So Dwayne Le'Veon Bell has been very vocal about getting the franchise tag for a second time, threatening to sit out, threatening to retire. When the time comes, we pretty much see that he's going to, um, you know, sign the franchise tag. But do you think he's going to play it the way he did last year where he's going to sit out the training camp again, or you think he's going to just, you know, do the necessary things he needs to do uh, to be at the top of his game, knowing that next year will be the make or break year for a contract. I think he's going to probably change it up this time around because it is going to be a make or break year. And in these situations, you know, you, you do want to secure your bag. You do want to secure your future, but at the same time, this is a market where running backs are at a premium. And so, that's what the Steelers are kind of facing. That's what a lot of teams kind of face when you have, you know, running backs who are, you know, when they hit that wall at 30, it's like, what now? And so you don't want to have somebody locked down unless you're a Frank Gore who's just an ageless wonder and a magical unicorn. But um, it's going to be very interesting. I don't think there's going to be like a whole bunch of holdouts or sitting out this go around. I think if he just keeps doing the right thing and does what he needs to do, the Steelers will reward him. The Steelers have been known to reward their guys. It's kind of just like a wait-and-see kind of thing in that situation. I think another thing that's going to benefit Le'Veon Bell is that if Ben Roethlisberger does retire after this season, then that's a big chunk of contract that won't be counted for for the Steelers so they can – use basically, you know, some of his old salary to make his contract bigger. So I think he's got a little bit more leverage if if that tends to happen. So, yeah, I think he's going to change it up again this year. I think he's going to kind of, you know, come in, do the things he needs to do, try not to make waves and see if they can win the championship and then have that leverage coming off of that too. have a great season, win the Super Bowl, and then, you know, go into this free agency and say, you know, I got a lot of teams that want me, but you guys get the first shot and we'll see. So. There's no guarantee that he's going to necessarily stay with the Steelers because, you know, after this year, when they, if they were to do the transition tag, then, you know, he would probably get close to $20 million in that season. So 
that's a that's a pretty hefty hefty number for a running back at this point in his career. Next up, the Seahawks. They were busy this week as they traded defensive end Michael Bennett to the Eagles for a fifth round pick and wide receiver Marcus Johnson. But they weren't done there. They then released cornerback Richard Sherman. Sherman then turned around and signed with the San Francisco 49ers. So, Dwayne, we have an end of an era out in the NFC West as the Legion of Boom, uh, the two most probably, you know, cornerstone members, Michael Bennett and Richard Sherman, are both moving on. How does this affect Seattle? And then talk about each of those individual players moving forward to their new teams. Yeah, it truly um, kind of uh, kind of a uh, sad thing if you look at it because this is what got Seattle to where they are now. I mean, of course, you got Russell Wilson manning the offense, but it was the defense that really got the Seahawks going and really got the got the uh, swagger in that franchise and kind of injected uh, some new found life into that franchise. And now, you know, two of the biggest pieces of that defense are moving on to new teams. I think that benefits the already stacked Philadelphia Eagles defense who get another defensive end, another pass rusher, which was probably the weak point of the Eagles, but... You know, it wasn't that weak to the point where they didn't get enough to get Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, so when they counted the most. So Michael Bennett adds some great Philadelphia line, Fletcher Cox, Michael Bennett, Chris Long, great, great guys up front. Um, and then Richard Sherman, I mean, he goes back home pretty much. He played at Stanford, so he knows the North Bay area pretty well, playing with the 49ers, and it's going to be interesting, uh, especially coming off surgery with both Achilles and but I know he can give the 49ers a lot of tendencies of Russell Wilson and help that defense out and this also shows that the 49ers they're looking to win now instead of waiting they got they got the quarterback they locked down the receiver a good win uh, Garoppolo's favorite target they built a really good relationship and now they're getting that defense stacked up again so it's going to be on Kyle Shanahan and company to see what they do from here. So good luck to the 49ers and we'll see how the Seahawks react to this loss. Both of these losses, in fact. The NFC West continued to be very volatile as the Rams traded Alex Ogletree to the Giants and then they acquired Akeem Talib from the Broncos. So now they've remade their defense in the last three weeks. As they've picked up Marcus Peters, they've picked up Akeem Talib. I guess that means that Tremaine Johnson may be, you know, officially become a free agent after this season because I, I don't see them being able to sign him as well to a free agent deal or if they, and they've already used their franchise tag on their safety. So um, talk about the Rams. They've been one of the most active teams throughout the uh, offseason trading and gaining players and different assets. Uh, they're giving Wade Phillips a lot of toys to play with over there on defense. He knows a key from the days in Denver. Um, and they're looking like, you know, the NFC West is looking like it's about to be an arms race between the 49ers and the Rams. It looks like the Seahawks may be kind of, you know, about to take a step back. The Cardinals are in a transition. 
uh, phase where they have a new coach and, you know, Larry Fitzgerald probably his last year, Carson Palmer retired. So uh, the Rams and the 49ers look like they're going for it. And uh, this offseason has been kind of, uh, you know, back and forth between those two teams. So talk about the Rams, their additions on defense and, uh, you know, how that impacts uh, their season coming up. Well, they are the defending NFC West champs and they're looking to be the mainstay in the NFC West. And with the 49ers coming to prominence and you can't count out the Seahawks as long as Russell Wilson is healthy. Um, so, I mean, the defense is going to be affected by it. They still have Cam Chancellor. They still have Earl Thomas. They still have K.J. Wright, Bobby Wagner. So, I mean, losing Richard Sherman and Michael Bennett hurts, but the Seahawks still have a lot of key pieces on defense. So if they're healthy, they could still make a play in the NFC West. But the Rams, though, like you said, a key to lead, known, Wade Phillips knows him from other days in Denver. Uh, I think the probably the chapter was the trading of Ogletree to the Giants. Uh, that really benefits the Giants more than the Rams. But the secondary, very stacked right now. I mean, even with Tremaine Johnson, I don't know who's going to play the nickel, who's going to be playing who's going to have the playing time or if Jermaine Johnson is going to even be there. But one way or another, where you whether he's there or not, it's going to be one of those um, fights and the finishes. And we'll just also have to see how the 49ers continue to evolve and see what John Lynch does. I mean, he's doing a great job making all these bold moves, uh, risky moves, pulling trades off, improving the team. And the same with a less need in Los Angeles. So, it's going to be a very interesting race. Um, Arizona, like you said, they're, they're in a new transition, but we'll see what Steve Wilkes can do with that team um, and see where they go with it. I mean, like you said, Larry Fitzgerald is in. It's going to be his last year. Carson Palmer is gone. I mean, you could transition to Blaine Gabbert or get somebody else in free agency. So it's one of those wait-and-see kind of things there. All right. And then the Cleveland Browns decided to get in the mix as they acquired Jarvis Landry from the Dolphins. Then they got quarterback Tyrod Taylor from the Bills and they traded Deshaun Kaiser to the Packers. So the Cleveland Browns, who have a chance to have one of the uh, most iconic drafts of all time in this first round, first two rounds, I think they've got like four picks. Um, They could probably have one of those um, Dallas Cowboy 1991 drafts where they got like Russell Maryland and all those kind of keystone players that started that Cowboys, uh, you know, turnaround from all those Herschel Walker picks they got in that dynamic trade. So just talk about the Browns going with, you know, Tyrod Taylor. Looks like they're going to start with the veteran quarterback. Um, I guess that still doesn't stop them from using the number one pick on a quarterback. Um, they looks like they're going to try to pair Jarvis Landry with hopefully uh, uh, returning and healthy and, and, you know, Josh Gordon. But, you know, it all depends on what the P-man says when it comes to him this offseason and training camp. So just talk about the Browns wheeling and dealing uh, and trying to maybe get out of the doghouse. So, yeah, it's a good question. And my thing is, this is great work by John Dorsey, who's the GM of the Browns. And not only did he get uh, Tyrod Taylor for the Bills. We know we've said all along the Bills really did not want anymore. And so this was a good move for the Browns getting a guy who has only had 16 interceptions in the past three seasons. And you trade a guy who had 22 all of last season in Kaiser. I mean, granted, he was a rookie, but he'll get to learn a little bit more from 
Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, so that's a good good move for for um, him. Um, getting Demarius Randall in the process in that third trade uh, that helps the defense out, and so you got Tyrod Taylor quarterback. You got Jarvis Landry, who was pretty much um, a question mark anyway. So this was their answer in um, going ahead and getting the trade in for him. I like the I like the trade. I think maybe Tyrod Taylor could get Jarvis Landry the ball on the go route a lot better than Ryan Tannehill could. And, you know, we could probably see Hugh Jackson use Jarvis Landry in many different positions and have him run routes where he's going north and south and not east and west, which has always been a pet peeve of mine with him. I like the fact that they still have five of the first 65 picks in the draft. That still shows that they are still committed to the rebuilding process. And even if, um, you know, Taylor gets the start of the in the first season, I think this was a year that the Bills didn't want to pay him anyway. So he gets an extra year to prove himself. If he has a great year, he gets an extension. And, you know, you will have, if you get a quarterback or at the number one or number four, you can still have them, you know, ready to go whenever. So it's just one of those things where we just have to see what the Browns do at that point. And I hope they do the right thing in getting um, in getting um, these picks right so they can ascend to the top of the north. But it's going to be a very formidable, formidable trio in Cleveland, wide receiver-wise with Landry, Gordon, if he's cleared, and Corey Coleman as well. Definitely. They're definitely trying to make a major move to compete and rebuild at the same time. So we'll see how the Browns uh, are successful with that approach or not this year. Now, a team that is near and dear to your uh, neck of the woods, the Tennessee Titans announced that they were going to release DeMarco Murray and fully go with the Travis Henry movement at running back. Of course, DeMarco Murray has hit that magical age of 30, and this was the first year that he didn't get 1,000 yards. So just talk about uh, Dwayne, talk about the Titans going forward with Travis Henry and what the future may hold for DeMarco Murray. All right, so Derrick Henry is the guy going forward. Uh, he was second in the NFL in in uh, yards in the fourth quarter, and he is finally getting that. Finally, um, he learned a lot from DeMarco Murray, and so now with DeMarco Murray hitting that, that running back wall of 30. And like you said, he did not get a thousand yards. It's one of those things now where, you know, you got to move on, go with the youth, go with the youth and, and uh, go from there. And now it's going to be interesting to see if, um, where he goes next, if he gets another, um, gig, but, you know, best of luck to DeMarco Murray. I think a lot of the Titans fans, they were impressed the first year, but I think after last year with the injuries and the ineffectiveness, it was kind of like, okay, it's time to move on. He's, I mean, they they put up with Eddie George's 3.8 yards, but he was beloved in Tennessee. So I don't think another running back with uh, 3.8 yards of carry is going to cut it for this franchise or these fans. All right. And then in our final bit of NFL news, Roger Goodell 
had to get one more swing in on Jerry Jones as Jerry Jones was ordered to pay back $2 million to reimburse the NFL for the cost, the court cost during the Roger Goodell contract hearings. So not only did Roger get the salary that he was supposed to get, not only did Zeke get suspended and serve all the games, he made Jerry Jones put the money back in the NFL or AKA his pocket as well. So Dwayne talk about Roger Goodell with his major power move and once and for all showing who has the big stick in the NFL. He pretty much said it. it's his call, his final call, and he pretty much put Jerry Jones in his place. And because of that, Jerry Jones is had to pay up, had to cough it up that money. So um, not really much to say about it. He laid down the hammer and put the nail in the coffin and that's that. Yeah, that's a that's quite a gangster move by Roger Goodell when it's all said and done. So this is Know the Score. I'm Don DeLorente. I'm here with the Libra icon, Dwayne. You can find us each and every week on CSPN, CSPN.us. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. So we're going to move on to the NBA. We're going to talk about the hottest team besides the Houston Rockets in the NBA right now, and that's the New Orleans Pelicans. They have won 10 out of their last 11 games, and they've moved from ninth to fourth in the Western Conference. Now, a couple of like a month ago, Boogie Cousins went down. We thought that things would be bleak for the Pelicans. But Anthony Davis has put on the cape, and he's put up some ridiculous numbers. His February was one of the greatest of all times for a month by any player at any time in any era. So let's talk about the Pelicans as a whole. Um, Alvin Gentry has, you know, this has really been a season where all eyes have been on him. They've kind of assured him, you know, everything he needed as far as the front office to make a playoff run this year. It looked kind of bleak, but now they've ascended to a spot where it looks like they may be safe uh, to make the playoffs. Definitely uh, maybe get um, some home games, home court advantage. So talk about the job he's done coaching and the job that the team has done overall in this last month without Boogie Cousins. Yeah, you got to give New Orleans a lot of credit. They are, you know, they are on fire right now. And this was, you also got to give uh, credit to Dell Demps, uh, the manager, the GM in New Orleans, for making a lot of these moves to keep the Pelicans um, afloat. I mean, after the Boogie Cousins injury, you get um, Marodich from the Bulls, you get a few other players in the deal, and and the response um, in New Orleans has been uh, not just Anthony Davis putting the cape on and and just doing one of the greatest uh, heists in terms of the the uh, season. I mean, you think I think Anthony Davis could snag the MVP at this point from James Harden. I mean, James Harden has been the front runner all season, but what Anthony Davis has done um, without his um, without his uh, running mate, but Jamarcus Cousins on the side and him going down for the season, he is really. Uh, picked it up, and then, and then um, the also you get another body in Emeka Okafor who signed with the Pelicans for the rest of the season, and and so it's just one of those things where we'll just have to see. I mean, Drew Holiday um, has been pretty good as well, and it's just um, really trying to see where the 
where the um, Pelicans go from there. I like uh, a playoff run possibly, but we know the West is just stacked, so they just got to keep the momentum going. Right, and everything depends on the health of Anthony Davis as well. He's been known to, like, he twisted his ankle a couple of nights ago, so he did not play in the one game that they lost uh, the other night against the Wizards. So, you know, it just depends on his health because he's such a great player. He can do so much. And like you said, there's been a lot of talk about him sliding into the MVP race and maybe challenging James Harden coming up from the outside as James Harden has had a phenomenal year. But, um, you know, just this move by the Pelicans and strictly on the back of Anthony Davis has definitely definitely put him in the forefront of a lot of people's minds as far as his MVP race. Uh, we're going to move on to the next bit of news that happened this week. Derrick Rose, after this long sabbatical, has decided that he wants to join Tibbs and join the Minnesota Timberwolves. They have an opening with Jimmy Butler going down. Uh, of course, Tibbs is very familiar with Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose is very familiar with Tibbs. So this looks like it could be, you know, a good fit as far as Derrick Rose and somebody who understands his mentality and, and how to work with him and the framework as far as, you know, making him comfortable and, and wanting to play basketball. So talk about, to me, uh, Dwayne, Derrick Rose, how he helps the Timberwolves, and can they make a late-season charge and get into the playoffs? Well, they're already in the playoff hunt right now. And so, I mean, even with Jimmy Butler going down, this does shore up the playoff experience and the demands of Tibbs. I think Derrick Rose has his can get his mind right. I mean, I don't think he's going to get back to the MVP form of uh, 2010, I want to say, but he's going to be pretty good. And so, and I did say this uh, when he got released, uh, look out for the Timberwolves to sign him because of the familiarity with uh, Tibbs. And we all know that Tibbs can run his stars and his players ragged. And I think that might have been the effects of Derrick Rose while he, when he got hurt. So, but we're gonna see how it goes. I think with the way the with the uh, West is set up from fourth through tenth is uh, four and a half game difference, and Minnesota's right in the middle of it, and um, in the sixth spot, uh, two and a half out on the three seed, and just a game and a half away from being on the outside looking in. So. It's going to be very interesting down the stretch to see what what happens and where to go from here. All right. And then in our final bit of NBA news, Kawhi Leonard, he does a 180 on playing this season. And he says that he could return as early as this Thursday. So a couple of weeks ago, we were reporting that Kawhi would probably shut it down for the season that the medical staff, that uh, the team's medical staff and Kawhi's personal medical staff were kind of had a little bit of difference as far as, you know, his availability and when he should be able to play. But it looks like Kawhi has taken it upon himself, says he feels good, and he wants to try to, you know, come back in and play the end of the season. So, Dwayne, where did this come from? Um, you know, it, it looked like he was dead set on just shutting it down and, and coming in next year. But um, what do you think got into Kawhi and changed his mind? I think probably he looked at the way the team was playing in the month of February. Uh, the Spurs have been struggling. Like This is probably the worst I've seen the Spurs this late in the season in God knows how long, like ever. <laughs> and so probably probably the year before they drafted Tim Duncan was probably the last time you see the Spurs like this low in the Western Conference. And 
they're still in the they're still on the right side of the playoff picture. I mean, they're seventh in the West. They're a game ahead of Denver and Utah and and uh, the Clippers, but at but now it's like you see how bad that this team has been looking for the most part. It's time to it's time to get the um, get get the guy who literally is the focal point of this team. I mean, Marcus Aldridge has kept this team afloat for the most part. He's been the guy this season, but you need that superstar. You need that top five in the NBA player coming into the season in Leonard. And and so Leonard needs to come back. I think probably would to see how bad the Spurs are without him. He could probably know he can make a difference, which is probably why he flip the script on everybody. All right. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see how they close out the season. Like you said, uh, they've been a team that uh, traditionally closes strong. Uh, but this year, uh, you know, they've had injuries and just not up to their normal standard of play. So Spurs would definitely be an interesting team to watch going into this playoff season. This week, Know the Score is brought to you by Amazon.com. Amazon.com, where you can find anything in the world to buy at any time in the world, has been a sponsor of the CSPN from day one. So please help keep Know the Score and all the podcasts free by going to www.cspn.us. Click on the menu tab and then scroll down to where you see keep the podcast free. Click on the Amazon link, do your shopping as you normally would, and some of your purchases will come back to CSPN to help keep all the podcasts and especially Know the Score free each and every week. So Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. Dwayne, we're going to get into our final topic here. College basketball, the conference tournaments wrapping up this weekend as we had Virginia defeat North Carolina to win the ACC tournament. We had Kansas defeat um, West Virginia to to win the Big 12. Villanova beat Providence to win the Big East. Arizona defeated UCLA to win the Pac-10, and Michigan defeated Purdue to win the Big Ten tournament. Now, I want to talk about Michigan particularly to start off with. The Pac, the Big Ten, excuse me, moved their tournament up a week to have it in New York. And so now their whole conference has had like almost a 10-day break by the time the NCAA tournament is going to start. Do you think that's going to provide an advantage or a disadvantage for the Big Ten schools? Well, I I noticed that too. I think having this um, having the Big Ten at the Garden was uh, was a great um, move uh, TV wise for the exposure of the Big Ten basketball and whatnot in the top of basketball city in New York. But now you have a uh, a long layoff between games, and I mean, there's schools that do this all the time, and you know, a lot of mid-major schools do this, and some win, some lose. I don't think it's going to be a uh, psychological thing, per se. I think it's just going to be about preparation and keeping the guys loose and making sure they don't uh, slip up or get any any kind of uh, any kind of lazy periods. I think, though, by the time it gets to, like, the ninth or tenth day, like, a few days after you know who you're going to be playing in the tournament, now you're going to get a little bit antsy and want to, you know, just go out and go out and run the competition at the gym. But Michigan just has to be smart 
and do what they need to do. Uh, John Beeline's a great coach, and he'll have these guys prepared. He'll keep them. He'll keep everything under control until it's game time. All right. We're going to shift over and talk about Arizona. They're a team that has a whole lot to play for. They got a big old chip on their shoulder. And they have the best player in college basketball as well. And usually when you have the best player in the game or in the tournament, you usually can ride that guy pretty far. So what do you think about Arizona's chances? Um, you know what I'm saying? They're definitely focused in on, you know, trying to prove everybody wrong and just, you know, the calamity that may be the NCAA tournament champion being Arizona and the president of the NCAA having to hand that trophy over to Sean Miller. Well, I mean, it's going to – Arizona's a heavy favorite, but we know there's a lot of heavy favorites. Um, in the tournament, one in, I mean, you still got Virginia to worry about. You still got Villanova to worry about. You still have Michigan State to worry about. This is the month of Izzo. And Sean Miller has had a history of having great teams and not capitalizing on them. I mean, he had Lori Markinen, Rondé Hollis Jefferson uh, just a year or two ago, and they cannot get far. So, I mean, Sean Miller's kind of where Bill Self and Jay Wright were at this point in their careers where, you know, they have a lot of elite teams that um, with elite players, but you can't get to the championship. So now they have a great chance, um, even with all the controversy surrounding them. Um, DeAndre Ayton's family has come out and said, we have not taken any money from anybody. Uh, Sean Miller has been adamant about his situation so it could be some awkwardness but if Arizona does go all the way and we'll just see that moment and maybe that will be the just play one shiny moment in the background of the process so um but we can see if it'll be a forever shiny moment or one that's temporary and the hammer comes down and and we see that you know Miller's gone and there's a there's a heavy sanctions on Arizona, but just have to wait and see how it plays out. Um, Arizona is a good team, a great team. I don't think they're on the level of Virginia, Michigan State, or Villanova, who are my, who would be my three favorites. But I think Arizona does have a great shot to go to the Final Four at least. All right. Now we're going to talk about Villanova, probably the most consistent team besides maybe North Carolina in the last three years of the uh, NCAA tournament. Uh, they're back again with another great chance to win the thing. They've been in the top three all season. Uh, they've dominated the tournament the last couple of years as far as the Big East tournament. Uh, they held off Providence in overtime yesterday. Um, I, you said that they're one of your favorites. So just talk about you know Villanova and what makes them so good uh, year in and year out so far. Well, it starts off with the head coach. Starts off with Jay Wright. Uh, his assistants, they do a great job recruiting. Macau um, Bridges is the guy to watch out for. He was a relatively unknown player. Um, I mean, you had Miles Bridges at Michigan State, but Macau Bridges of Villanova, about six seven. He's a sophomore. Uh, he can score. He can pass. He can drive. He can shoot. Um, you know, you have a lot of guys who um, can – play inside out on the squad. And so Villanova is really a heavy favorite. They haven't been as big of a tournament 
mainstay in the Big East. I mean, they did win it this year, but I mean, the last couple of years, uh, Seton Hall, Providence, uh, I think Providence played their way in, knocking off Xavier, knocking off Creighton, knocking off, um, taking Villanova to overtime. I mean, you don't want to lose any kind of game, but to get to the point where, you know, you took one of the heavy favorites to the limit, especially after Villanova got off to a great start, you got to give you know, Providence a lot of credit there too. Um, Xavier, who won the Big East, is still big in the regular season. Is still, is still there. But Villanova is, like you said, the most consistent team and in the tournament in the last few years. And you know they've had some epic bat. They had the epic battle with North Carolina. Um, you know, turn away Don. I know that was a rough night, but. Uh, it was. It's been a very good year for, for good few years for Villanova. Good job by Jay Wright. The Kansas Jayhawks coming off of a mm, slow start season. A you know it's not how you start, how you finish type season. Defeated West Virginia in a game that I think a lot of people thought they would maybe have a a bigger struggle than they did. Uh, talk about Kansas rounding into form here late in the season. Um, looks like that they're peaking at the right time. They had some struggles early in the season, midway through the season, but it looks like Bill Self has kind of figured out his lineup, substitution patterns, and, uh, you know, just talk about Kansas and the uh, improvement you've seen in them the last, like, three weeks or so. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people chose the field, and when the streak was questioning, came into question, uh, Kansas versus the field, and, of course, the motivating factor is you never, nobody on that, nobody that puts on a Kansas uniform year to year does not want to be the team that ends the streak. I mean, you had a team that only played seven people. So this Devontae Graham has played the whole game, like all but two games all season long, because there's no real depth in the Jayhawks right now. Like they have a lot of transfers who are sitting out their year because of the mandatory transfer sit out period. They were fortunate to get Silvio D'Souza to come in late, and he really showed out. I think this was his coming out party in the final where he had 16 points and 10 rebounds. Um, Mitch Lightfoot did a great job, but he's got into a lot of foul trouble, which forced Bill Self to use um, D'Souza a lot more. Um, and then Yudoka Azubuki, who sprained his MCL and has been out for the Big 12 tournament. Um, they're hoping he would be available for the NCAA tournament, but the three games in Kansas City, uh, I really saw a lot of – I really saw the mental toughness in Kansas that wasn't there at the start of the season and even midway through the season when a lot of people were questioning KU. Uh, they lost Oklahoma State twice. They lost to Oklahoma once. They lost to Baylor once. So that was four of the five losses in Big 12 play. Uh, a lot of them should have been winnable games, but they weren't. And – but they redeemed themselves against Oklahoma State. They got the third win against K-State, even without Dean Wade or Barry Brown for the Wildcats. And, um, you know, they came back twice for double digits on West Virginia, and they did it again. West Virginia was up eight late, and Kansas came back and won. So it's going to be a very interesting March. Um, we just have to see if Azubuki's healthy, and they can rotate maybe eight instead of seven. 
All right. And then I'm going to get your thoughts on the team that will be the likely overall number one seed in the entire tournament, the Virginia Cavaliers. Uh, they've had a remarkable season. Tony Bennett, uh, they were picked to finish sixth in the ACC. They went 17-1. and one. First team ever to win 20 conference games with the uh, conference tournament wins included. Um, they're not the most beautiful team to watch as far as aesthetically and pace and things like that. But they execute so well on offense. They play suffocating defense. They're just a fundamentally sound, well-coached squad. Can Virginia win the national championship? This is a tough one. This is a real tough one. Virginia has the ability and the capability to win the national championship. But are they going to win the national championship? I probably will say no, only because I do say they are a favorite to win. They not only have stuff against defense, and yes, they can play basketball that makes you feel like you're in a time warp in the 1940s. However, Virginia can also adapt to the play of the opponent. So if you're going to try to run with Virginia or a Tony Bennett coach team, they're going to run with you if they have to. They don't like to run, but if they have to, they will. And that's probably the biggest difference between um, a Tony Bennett coach team and his dad when uh, Dick Bennett when he was the head coach when he was coaching, and even Bo Ryan at Wisconsin when Wisconsin had that suffocating defense. But um, those teams never could run with other opponents. But Tony Bennett. He, he lets his guys run. If they have to run with the opponent, he will let them. And, but my, my only concern is now that, you know, they've only lost twice all season long. They have a really complete squad, but I'm only wondering, could they get us a tough 8-9 matchup and could they be bouncing the second round, not even without the first weekend? So it's either going to be they go all the way to the Final Four or National Championship, or they're going to uh, bust and be out in the second round, so or Sweet Sixteen. So it's goes either way. Without seeing the brackets, because we're recording this uh, on the Sunday that the brackets will be released, do you have a a dark horse, a a, a team that's laying in the weeds that could possibly spoil uh, the Final Four or the Elite Eight? that nobody's really talking about now, but if they get put in the right, you know, um, pod, you know, they could really make some noise. Well, yeah, I mean, this, it really is going to be about the matchups. I was discussing this with a few buddies of mine and it's going to be something where it's going to, it, it depends on the matchups. It depends on who's, um, if you're in, um, you're close to home if you're in a area where hey I can I can do this I can possibly I can possibly do that but it, we'll just have to see when these brackets come out at six o'clock tonight and see who's playing who and who's playing where all right um just for a team that I think if they get in if they get in the west because they'll be up against a bunch of teams who haven't really seen them and wouldn't have a lot of scouting report on them if they could get past the first game. I think NC State could do a little damage just because they play a, a defensive style that is a pressing kind of style defense, and a lot of teams don't really get to see that during the season. 
And if you know anything about the history of NC State, when they've been good and had tournament runs, they've always kind of come from the West. So look out for NC State if they get slotted out in the West as maybe a, a 10 or a 9. They could, uh, they could, they could maybe shock some people because they're a really good team. If they come out and shoot the ball well and rebound, uh, they definitely have the defensive uh, pressure to 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 cause some teams a lot of uh, havoc, especially that second game where you don't get a lot of chance to, uh, you know, really prepare and you just have to go play off the scouting report and kind of, you know, adjust to the game as it goes on. Right, and I also think uh, if they do get a nine, though, and likely if they get into the second round. I think Kansas is probably the number one seed in the West. They'll probably be that fourth number one seed. Uh, the good thing is for the Jayhawks versus probably other top seeds is the Jayhawks do see the press a couple times a year, especially with West, well three times a year. In this case, with West Virginia, so they know how to you know combat that pressing style. But it's going to be, I think, what might help uh, if NC State rotates a lot more players that will definitely help them in the matchup against Kansas or a team that doesn't have a lot of depth either. All right. All right. So yeah, selection Sunday is always a lot of fun. Just kind of seeing where the teams are going and who gets matched up with who and the made for TV games that, you know, CBS hopes to get, um, you know, in the sweet 16 and the elite eight. And uh, so this is the best time of the year if you're a college basketball fan and we'll keep you abreast here on know the score. So, Dwayne, at this point, I'm going to open it up to you for your final thoughts, um, a topic that we did not cover, or just shout-outs and thank yous. Well, I would have to say shout-out to all the the bid stealers in the NCAA tournament. So, I want to say first, we got we got to give a lot of credit to a lot of these teams who have knocked off number one seeds in the NCAA, in their conference tournaments, because that makes that bubble – and those at large bids kind of like kind of a lot smaller. So, um, for example, Marshall, they're, they're going to the big dance for the first time since 1985. Alabama knocked off Auburn. Um, I mean, Conference USA, go back to Marshall real quick. Conference USA had uh, Middle Tennessee. That was supposed to be in the conference to win, but with um, Middle Tennessee's loss to Southern Miss in the conference tournament, that put that on – Put a big question mark there. Um, Alabama lost to uh, – well, Alabama beat Auburn before losing to Kentucky. So Auburn, who was the top seed in the SEC, they they lost as well. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, teams that pretty much who were top seeds in the conference tournament. And my real final thought is um, shout-out to – North Carolina Central. I know I'm an Aggie, but I was very happy that North Carolina Central won because they stopped the Hampton Pirates from leaving the MEAC with the MEAC tournament title and an automatic bid before Hampton leaves for the Big South. And shout out to the anti women who knocked off the Hampton women. And so Hampton pretty much leaves the MEAC empty handed. I hope they enjoy the Big South and their rivalry with Liberty. <laughs> All right. My final thought will be about Tiger Woods. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about Tiger and how he, you know, made the cut and was going to play on the weekend for the first time in forever. And he looked good. He said he was feeling good. And as start of today, he's one shot off the lead in the final round. Um, so, you know, it looks like he's right on track to kind of 
you know, be playing some of his best golf he's played in probably like a decade heading into the Masters. Um, he's got everybody excited as Twitter was just ablaze as he was, uh, you know, doing some Tiger Woods like things on Saturday. So hopefully he can keep it up. His health stays underneath him and his confidence continues to grow. And uh, he can do something special that first weekend in April and, uh, you know, just get a glimpse of that old Tiger Woods again. So, um, you know, good luck to Tiger Woods on his final round as he's back in the hunt trying to win uh, a tournament for the first time. in I think it's like seven years or so. So, you know, I think a lot of people in the sports world are kind of holding their um, excitement back a little bit. They don't want to get too far on the edge with it, but yeah, if he wins this tournament, uh, yeah, the you know Tiger will be right back to the forefront of the sports pages, and and the Masters will have a whole different buzz to it than it's had the last few years. So I can't wait. I'm excited to see uh, what the next month or so holds for Tiger. So on that note, for the Libra icon, Dwayne, I'm Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.